0: I'm back. Um, Edward asked me to do that little interview just um, just at the beginning of the service, so uh, it's lovely just to be able to uh, tell you a bit more about our own journey, in St. Mary's has been such an important part of our journey. We were married here over, well over 30 years ago, and um, some of the ministry that we received from, from St. Mary's in, in those days was hugely influential on us, on our spiritual journey. So it's just so wonderful to be part of this church family again. So, as Edward said, we are this morning taking another step into the depths of what it means that Jesus rose from the dead as we come to end of this, of this series of Luke's accounts of Jesus's resurrection and the repercussions of that. Interesting, isn't it, that we don't say, happy ascension, everybody, uh, we, we, not like we do at Christmas or Easter. Uh, It's not something that features in in our calendar that uh, very often we would mark Ascension Day in any particular way. It's a bit like Pentecost. We know it's there. We know it's something to be celebrated. But it's not right at the heart of our celebrations necessarily as a church. But it's a seismic event that changed the world that uh, was charged with significance and in some ways very often overlooked so it's a great opportunity for us this morning isn't it to look at this incredible event which is described in that first reading in just that one verse but also in a bit more detail at the beginning of the book of Acts. So why don't we just pray and ask God to quicken our hearts and minds as we think about this together. Father thank you for your word which is living and active. Uh, thank you for your spirit who opens our hearts and minds to understand and live your word, and we pray that this morning uh, you would bring that inspiration to us, uh, that you would deepen our hope and our joy in being children of God, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just realized that this is all completely out of order, which is good, isn't it? Um, Just give me two seconds, I'll just flick it back into order. You might want to, this is my padding, you might want to have your Bibles open if you can reach one. We haven't got Bibles here, have we? But you might have one on your phone or something. At uh, the beginning of the Book of Acts and also at uh, the end of the Book of Luke, of course, we know that Luke wrote the Book of Acts, so it's really, listening to those two readings, it was like a continuation of Luke Part 1 coming to an end and Luke Part 2 coming to a beginning. And, of course, uh, right at that point, it's Luke telling us about the event of the Ascension. I wonder if you ever watched some of those presidential debates that took place between uh, Trump and Clinton initially, and then uh, more recently Trump and Biden, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, uh, vying for that that position to become the president of the United States of America. Uh, They were quite painful to watch, weren't they? And I didn't really envy the person who was having to uh, be the chairperson of those particular debates. Uh, It was interesting, wasn't it, how there was this dogged, unrelenting effort made by each candidate uh, to give a clear indication that they should become the next president of the United States, that they should become what some people used to refer to as the leader of the free world. Now that the work of Jesus is done on the cross, now that we've seen Jesus raised from the dead, we have a free world of a different kind don't we one that's been released from the power of sin and death because of jesus's sacrifice on the cross and because of his conquering of death through the resurrection that now by faith we can receive that extraordinary gift and be part of a whole new free world which will one day be recreated when jesus returns we also have clear evidence that this free world has been created because jesus himself has risen from the dead And that he is the firstborn from the dead, and therefore, he is the true leader of this new free world. And it is at the ascension, at this moment of Jesus being taken back to heaven in bodily form to be with the Father, that he is clearly the undisputed leader or king of the world and of the universe, Jesus himself. So, let's take a look at four particular aspects of the Ascension. But before we do, I'd just like to uh, explore a little doctrine with you. Um, It's called the Doctrine of the States of Jesus. And I hope it will help us get a context for why the Ascension is so important. In talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, theologians have sometimes talked about the states of Jesus Christ. By this, they mean the different relationships Jesus had to the possession of authority, Generally, two states, humiliation and exaltation, are distinguished. Thus, the doctrine of the twofold states of Christ. In the teaching that Christ experienced, first the state of humiliation, and then the state of exaltation. Within the humiliation of Christ are included his incarnation, setting aside his majesty, coming to earth in human form, suffering, death, and burial. And in the exaltation of Christ, there are also four aspects. The resurrection, the ascension into heaven, the session or the seating at the right hand of God, and the return in glory and power, which is yet to come. Many systematic theologians use this doctrine as a way of understanding the relevance and importance of each of those aspects of Christ's life and ministry. And there we see in, in the second one uh, the place of the ascension This doctrine of the states of Christ helps us to locate the ascension of Christ uh, to the Father in the flow of his ministry and mission. Indeed, without the ascension, uh, the seating at the right hand of God, that promise of Jesus interceding for us forever, and the glorious return to which we look forward, can only not follow. He needs to go back to the Father. In thinking about the ascension, though, we're talking about Jesus in his imperishable resurrection body, having appeared over a period of weeks to various people, leaving this earth to return to the Father. If we look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then... Just a few verses later, in verse 9, we read this. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. But this is not a purely geographical event, in the sense that Jesus was taken up into space or something. It is a miraculous divine event, where Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who has completed his work on earth, returns bodily to the Father, where he is then seated at the right hand of the father as one writer puts it do not think of the incarnation and the ascension as journeys through space from one location to another like a journey between earth and the moon these events though are transitions between the universe of space and time that God has made and his being which is beyond it It's interesting, isn't it, and important to grasp that this ascension is something truly divine. Jesus moving from one place that we know to another that we do not yet know. So what are the four things we might consider in this extraordinary moment as Jesus leaves the earth? Firstly, then... The ascension marks the end of Christ's earthly appearances until he comes again. That is the last they saw of him, and of course, we have not seen him. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 16 that he is leaving them. He will no longer be bodily present for them, nor will he be with us. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In verse 10 from 16, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus told them he was going to leave. Before and after his death and resurrection, Jesus declares that he was sent by the Father and must return to the Father. In John 16, he says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. You may remember when Mary encountered Jesus in the garden after his resurrection, he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Isn't it amazing the way that as Jesus tells them that he's going to ascend, that he includes humanity in that? My father and your father, your God and my God. Surely then there has been no sweeter reunion in the history of the world than Jesus' return to the Father from that cry of dereliction on the cross through to his death and his resurrection and now being reunited with the Father. Secondly, the ascension was effectively the coronation ceremony of Jesus, the pinnacle of his earthly ministry. Thinking back to that doctrine of the states of Christ, when Jesus ascends to the Father, his work of redemption complete, he is exalted and vindicated. Everything that people said about him that they got so terribly wrong about, the fact that he died and the fact that he was, his life was wasted, the fact that he wasn't truly the son of God, and all the things that people got terribly wrong. It shows us he ascends to the Father that he truly is who he said he was. He tells us that everything under heaven and earth is to be put under his authority, the risen and ascended Savior. All authority on heaven and on earth is given to him. And that's what happens at the ascension. There he is, returning to the Father, to sit at the right hand of the Father, to rule forever in glory. As one writer puts it, the top spot is therefore taken. Jesus is on the throne, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Herod, not Pilate, not Caesar. The prime minister is not, the queen is not, the president is not, the World Bank is not. You and I are not on the throne but only the risen and ascended Christ and the ascension assures us that the governance of the universe is in the utterly safe scarred hands of the risen and ascended Christ whose name is love whose rule is perfect the one who will be the, the judge of all things and the champion of all who are downtrodden Jesus has reclaimed the whole creation including you and me From the power of sin and death, he has risen from the dead and now he reigns on high because he has ascended to be with the Father. Hallelujah. He reigns with all authority and power and one day he will return to reveal his judgment and justice. Hallelujah. How do we know that? Because he has gone back to the Father. So there is no point then, is there, in us giving authority or sway to anyone or anything else in our lives, except the risen and ascended Christ. There are so many pretenders to that throne in our hearts, aren't there? People, organizations, roles, loyalties, status, what other people think about us. All these things can vie for position to rule over us in some way, but they're fake. They have no authority over us at all. Only Lord Jesus Christ, ascended to be with the Father, has that authority. I wonder if there are people or places or situations in our lives that need to be disarmed of their authority over us so that Jesus can take his rightful place. Thirdly, the ascension guarantees our eternal place with Christ. It gets better just as we, as we, uh, as Jesus as the, sees that Jesus as the first fruits from the monks, the dead, this assures us that we too will be raised. So as he ascends to be with the Father, he goes to prepare a place for us. He reminds us of that again in John's Gospel, but he also, in, in Paul, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace we have been saved. And then Ephesians 2 verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. This tells us not only that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we will be where he is in all eternity. It also tells us that we will share Christ's exalted authority over the new creation. We will truly be co-regents with him in eternity. You see, that was the end game of the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection. Jesus has purchased and ransomed us set us free from guilt and shame, and that gives us new life on this earth, resurrection life. But the ultimate goal was to bring us back to Eden, back to the perfect relationship with God who made us. Once Christ ascends, this is assured. I am going to a place to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be with me. One commentator writes this, if we look at the basis of human dignity, then we may may look for it in the fact that we were created in the image of God, that God himself took on human flesh, that he valued us enough to die for us, rise from the dead for us, and perhaps most significantly of all, we may look for it in the fact that human nature has now been taken into the realm of God, into the presence of God, onto the very throne of God in the ascension of Jesus. The human without sin who has ransomed us, the human being on the throne of heaven, is one of our own. Do you often wonder if God loves us? Perhaps we just need to remind ourselves that he loves us so much that he sits at the right hand of the Father in human form, interceding for us his work of salvation complete. Finally then, and I did tell you it gets better, the ascension is the trigger for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If we go back to the passage from John's Gospel, we read this, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. We don't know really why this is, but the long-promised Holy Spirit could not be poured out on all flesh unless and until Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, his work complete. Look at, Luke cha- look at Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. It's no accident that that account of Jesus promising the fullness of the Spirit to all who believe comes literally within a couple of verses of the account of the ascension. Because this is the moment. This is the time when all heaven celebrates the fact that the longed-for Spirit of God can be poured out on all people. In his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter explains. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are now hearing and seeing. He says that on the day of Pentecost. The ascended Lord sent the Spirit to be present with his people to empower them for mission and service and transform believers to live new lives reflecting their King. In the power of the Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, being Christ-like in the world. The bridge between us, fallen humanity, and God, the Redeemer, is now fully secured on both sides. Secured by the cross of Christ on the one hand, and the ascended, interceding Christ on the other hand. That bridge is secure. It is complete. Just as Christ entered our sinfulness, so now he takes our redeemed humanity as the first fruits of those risen from the dead. And now the Spirit can be given. The Spirit can be received by you and by me and by all who are far off who put their faith in Christ. All because of Jesus' work and all because of the ascension. So the ascension should make us feel very safe it marks the ends of christ's humiliation and the inexorable movement to exaltation it marks out the true king the true lord of lords it guarantees our eternity in heaven with god and it has triggered the long promised gift of the empowering presence of god who is no longer with us but who is in us by his spirit in the light of the ascension there are at least two ways that we might look at this very well known picture, which I hope is going to come up on the screen. Some of you may know it's a painting, which actually originally was a statue by an artist called Charlie Mackesy, and it's uh, called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It depicts the son coming home, the younger son, the errant son, throwing himself on the mercy of his father in sorrowful repentance. This is our state as we come to the Father claiming the saving work of Christ and beg for his forgiveness. Just like the Father in the parable, our Heavenly Father welcomes us, clothes us, has a banquet to celebrate our homecoming, all because of Jesus. But we can look at this painting through another lens. Here is an image of Jesus Christ, the Son, afflicted, crucified, died, risen, ascended, returning at last to the Father, his work complete. Having been humiliated, broken and crucified, he is now risen, exalted and home to prepare a place for us so that one day he will take him He will take us to be with him, to be where he is. And we will all be safe at last. Shall we pray? Gracious God, in your great mercy, you have revealed your true purposes to us in Jesus. And now we celebrate the fact that he is risen and ascended that he is with you on your right hand interceding for us moment by moment fill us with hope and joy we pray that we may be like those who witnessed that ascension going home praising you filled with joy and hope in jesus name we pray amen